Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, I met up with Cecilia Robinson, co-founder of My Food Bag, the company that had influenced a whole country to eat differently by delivering food with yummy recipes straight to your doorstep. Tag along! Cecilia, I'm very excited to have you here today. And um, maybe you can start with introducing yourself to our listeners. Um, so my name is Cecilia Robinson, and I'm the founder and nowadays director of My Food Bag. And how did you come up with the idea for My Food Bag? Um, well, my husband and I were traveling in Europe, um, actually for the years, and in 2012 it became clear to us that it was a really amazing concept. We didn't really have the time to execute it at that stage because we had a six, we were just about to have our first child and we had a childcare business at that stage. Um, but yeah, so we kind of saw it, made it better and decided to develop the business plan while I was on maternity leave. And then suddenly we had a newborn baby and a business and, and a new business. So it was pretty crazy. That's amazing. So what industry would you say that you work in? Is it food or is it tech or hospitality or...? Um, it's a good question. I mean, we're an e-commerce business, right? But our executional side of our business is heavily relied upon, um, you know, the day-to-day running of like warehousing and logistics and not to the degree that someone like an Amazon or a Mighty Ape is because for them, um, you know, it's a lot more about holding stock and, and sending it out. But for us, it's a just-in-time warehouse model, which is food and that's incredibly complicated so I'd say we're in both and um, you know considering that our product at the end of the day isn't tech it is food probably food more than tech but the tech has to enable the food. Food tech it is so I assume you are a foodie. Definitely I think a lot of people ask me kind of like oh so did you come up with my food bag because you hate to cook and I'm like no actually it's opposite I really love to cook. I've got a husband who doesn't cook at all and he's a terrible, like not a terrible cook, but he just doesn't like it, but he really likes to eat. So he's passionate about eating, but he hates like cooking, the idea of cooking. And so we kind of went through that phase as a couple where he'd ask me, you know, like, well, I'd say to him, what are we having, you know, what would you like to have for dinner tonight? And he'd be like, whatever's easy. And I'd be like, oh my God, I want to punch you. Like that is not a good response. Like seriously, never say that to someone. <laughs> so what has the response been so far for my food bag? It's been huge. I mean, my food bag is um, bigger than Lena's food bag in Sweden. Um, we're one of the largest um, food bag companies in the world. We're one of the most profitable food bag companies in the world. And, um, you know, it's a good lesson in market sizing because people assume that just because you go into a big market, you can dominate it. You can go into like a, you know, a US or Australia or, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will be able to achieve the same results as you can in a country like this where people like fall in love with the product and, you know, they really, really um, take to it. And so for us, it's been amazing to have the support of Kiwis to actually get behind the product. That is very impressive and especially having such an uptake in a very small, on a very small market as in New Zealand. Um, I remember Lena's food bag that you mentioned when they launched in Sweden and I was still living there. Um, why do you think you've been so successful with my food bag in New Zealand? 
Um, I think we're solving a problem. Like, you know, you have to have a good question that you ask when you're in business. And our question was, what are you having for dinner tonight? And we could answer that question. And so many people thought that we were crazy the way that we answered it with our product line and the SKUs that we now have. But it's worked out amazingly well. And hundreds of thousands of people have my food bag every single night for dinner. And that's kind of crazy. It is mind-blowing, really. Do you feel like you have changed the way that New Zealanders eat? Definitely. And, I mean, we can see that. I mean, we'd like to be able to look at it in 20 years' time and say, hey, look, we changed it. Like, you can see obesity rates changing or whatever it is. But anecdotally and from um, the, some of the research that has been undertaken by, like, Auckland University and and um, some of the social, well, um, social welfare groups in Wellington, if you do have a product like my food bag, it can change outcomes in society. And so we know that for sure. And so it's just about reaching the right demographics to be able to truly change that. Yeah, but what an opportunity to be able to make a positive difference by providing healthy, fresh food to Kiwis. So I know you're originally from Sweden and that you grew up there. Would you say that there is a cultural difference between what you find on a Kiwi dinner table versus a Swedish one? Yeah, I think, I mean, I personally think that New Zealand is a lot more of a melting pot for different cultures. And like being back home in Sweden recently, like it's nice, but you kind of get sick of meatballs after a while. And I don't think that Swedish people are that good at ethnic food. And so I think in New Zealand, we've got a really good, um, you know, um, you know, we've got really good ethnic food and we've got a lot of diversity in that ethnic food. And a lot of, um, you know, um, traditional meals that you get served here that you just don't see to the same degree in Sweden. So I think probably a wider palate set for that reason. I mean, um, the demographics of Auckland is wildly different to the demographics of Stockholm. And so, yeah, I think it does bring a different food culture. Yeah, I totally agree. After living in Auckland for the last four years, one of the things that I really love is the, the diversity and all the flavors and the food that's available. So what, um, what's your favorite kitchen then? Mm, that's a really hard one. I really love Japanese food. I also love Indian food. And so I'm really kind of like, I eat everything. And that's something that we've always, both my husband and I, just we love all food. And so we're really easy. We don't have any food dislikes and we don't have any allergies. So for us, it's pretty easy. But yeah, we love everything. Yeah, they're all good. And I would probably say Mexican is my go-to. So what would you say is the best part of your job? Well, I don't really have a job anymore. So my job is quite different nowadays because we resigned as CEOs um, four months ago. Um, five months ago and um, start of July so my husband and I up until that point had been CEOs of my food bag for almost six years and um, we went through um, an exit two years ago and had been planning to be able to step down and hand over the reins from that point so it's been really rewarding to do that. My job nowadays is incredibly diverse um, you know we're full-time parents to two kids so that involves doing the school pickup and drop off and our daughter being home with us, you know, a lot of the time. And and I've got a few directorships. I mean, clearly still really involved in my food bag um, as a director and as a partial owner still. Um, I do some random stuff, like I do a lot of speaking engagements and some coaching and just a wide ranging stuff. But I guess for us, we don't really have to work. So we choose to work when we want to. And so it's all about choice and kind of like living the lifestyle that you want. And for us, it's centered on our families. So what would you say is the most important skill to have and work on as an um, CEO? What's the most important thing as a CEO? As a CEO, your, um, you know, your core thing that you need to focus on is your people, you know, and you need to listen to your people and you need to act. So in your people, by your people, I mean your customers, your team, your suppliers, like you actually just need to spend time listening and then you need to put that into action. And so 
Um, I think sometimes that's where CEOs fail is because they don't spend enough time listening. And if you don't listen, you don't understand the customer. Okay, so you said that both you and your husband were CEOs. How was it to run my food bed together with your husband? It's fucking awesome. Probably can't say that word, but yeah. Like we do everything together and my husband is probably like... He's uh, he's one of the most humble men that you'll ever come across. You know, he's just incredible. And we work together so well because we've got different skill sets. And it's been a little bit weird because with him staying completely out of the limelight of my food bag, people come up to him and they'll be like, so what do you do? And he'd be like, I'm the CEO at my food bag. And they'd be like, ah, really? And so that's really different. And so he's just like, he doesn't really care because, you know, he's loved the journey and, and hasn't really cared about all the other byproducts of it. And... And so for us, it's been amazing. We work super well together. We're a really close-knit team. And for that reason, we just choose to spend a lot of time together. And so we're always basically together. Like, it's hard to find one of us but not the other. So, um, so yeah, like, that's just the way we function. It's very different. We totally acknowledge that. It doesn't work for everyone, but we love it. And how do you think you complement each other? Um, I think in two different ways. I think for us, firstly... Um, we've got different skill sets and so we've got I mean originally I think we started started out and I was probably more entrepreneurial than James and James kind of like I would get it like 90% of the way there and then James would sweep through and make sure it was 100% perfect and in that sense it meant kind of like you know ensuring that we cross the T's and dot the I's and that's critical when you're actually in a business because otherwise you can go bust really fast um, but I also think that the cool thing about us as a couple and is that we we challenge each other, you know, we ask questions, uh, you know, we drive each other forward. And so it's different ways and that's really made kind of the combination work so well. And we're totally transparent with each other, you know. We manage different teams inside my food bag, so I managed our our um, recipe development team, so like our head of the test kitchen, I managed our... COO who does all our purchasing and operations, I managed our customer love team and I managed our people person and then James managed IT so all of that side of it and we've got a pretty big team in that space, marketing, finance and but then we'd sit across areas so like he'd for example end up managing our COO with all the contracts that he did and um, on the marketing side I'd sit across her because I'm a marketer really as well and so we'd, we'd kind of like merge on the areas that we're interested in. Um, and so it's been really awesome and it's always worked really well for us and and even in our prior, prior business um, the childcare business we kind of divided it equal, you know similarly but then have always had overflow in each other's areas which works really well for us we'd never do a business without each other we're just not as good independently um, we're just not good without each other you sound like a great combo you mentioned you being a bit more entrepreneurial than than your husband would you say that that is something you're born that you're born with, or can anyone be and learn how to be an entrepreneur? I think it's funny. I think entrepreneurship is a funny thing. So it's really, really trendy, and I think everyone wants to be an entrepreneur right now. I heard someone um, define it as entrepreneurship, and I think that's to a degree true. And I think that it's not necessarily like can everyone do it. It's more about does everyone want to do it? Do you have the stomach for it? Like, do you want to live off wheat bags for like? three weeks of your life because you have no money like do you want to make that sacrifice in the short term knowing that it might never realize into cash and so you know like you just you have to truly understand your personality style because I think a lot of people go into it now and they're like I'm gonna get rich and it's gonna be amazing and it doesn't turn out that way in fact most people it's not 
that journey and it ends up being self-employment rather than entrepreneurship. And so you need to be able to understand both of them. And for us, we never actively sought entrepreneurship. It just kind of happened. Like we kind of started OPLink because it was a hobby and, and then it kind of turned into business and we kind of had a choice. Do we do it or do, don't, don't we? And we had no money for a large portion of our life. You know, we don't come from wealthy families. We started with, with nothing. And so, you know, we were like, well, we have nothing. So good luck taking anything from us, people. That was like our, the way that we were like, oh, we'll be fine. Good luck, bank. Like, what are you going to take from us? You know, like you can take our linen, but that's about it. And so, you know, I think you need to understand what sacrifice is. And I don't think everyone should be or could be an entrepreneur. I think it's different. And again, I think that the expectation that everyone should or can is kind of, it's a wrong thing because it doesn't fit everyone, you know. Do you have a history of people in your family starting their own businesses? Yeah, I mean, my dad's a business owner. My dad, but I would define my dad as more self-employed than a business owner. So again, like his business would stop when he stopped. And so he was into English language language training in Sweden. And he worked for Scania. And at one point he employed probably about six or eight people. And then he quickly realized that he was just earning revenue that was just going out to pay everyone. And paying everyone just meant that he had more headache and it was more painful. So just employ yourself and just work the hours that you want to work instead of having to manage all these people and so you have to be able to understand like are you a business owner are you a self-employed are you more entrepreneurial like where do you sit in the spectrum and so yeah we do have that in both our families um but not to the degree not to the degree where it's like they've started enterprises it's more been self-employment and do you think that has influenced you and the path um the pathway that you have taken i think that what's influenced me most about my background is that my dad when i was growing up always used to say my dad's a really hard worker right my dad would be out the door at like 4 a.m in the morning come home at seven o'clock at night and he'd be working really hard And, um, you know, he'd always be on the weekend, he'd be playing Lotto. He'd always say, like, when I win Lotto. Like, that was a repeating theme throughout my life. It's like, when I win Lotto, when I win Lotto. And I'm like, you don't want to, you know, have the reliance on Lotto to be able to define whether or not you're going to be financially independent. And so with my dad, like, that was something that was really repeating. And so for me, I was going to be a lawyer because I was like, that's an occupation that I'm interested in. I think I'd do well at it. And also I'm going to have a secure income and I'm not going to have to worry about it. Clearly that didn't happen. So did you study law? Do you have do you have a law degree? No. Most great entrepreneurs, we don't complete our studies. We meant to, like, you know, we had, you know, OPLink at the same time. I mean, initially I, you know, I started law school in Stockholm for a brief period of time and then I think I literally disappeared out of the course. I said to my lecturer that I would be back after Easter and I don't think I ever contacted Stockholm University after that. <laughs> so I think they, I don't know what they think happened to me. So I just dropped out basically. And then... Um, I did university briefly in New Zealand, kind of like hopped around between law and business and art and dropped out because we had OPLink and that was a bigger priority and I couldn't do everything. So do you think going to university is important? I think that people go to university too young. Like I'm an academic, I actually am an academic. So for me, I actually probably would have liked to have had a degree. So it's actually quite funny because I actually like that side of things. And I'm a geek, like I'm a big, like I used to be a real big geek at school. Like I studied really hard and I liked studying. So it wasn't that I didn't want a degree. And I think there's definitely a time and a place. I find it really difficult to digest when you see 17 or 18 year olds going off to university because I think it's um, really important that they go out into the world and they learn a bit about themselves and don't just waste like end up with a student debt into a job that they don't even know what it is that they end up hating 10 years later you know and that's not living your life you know so go out travel work as a waitress go bartending you know go and work as a receptionist like try different jobs like one of the things that we've always said is that we've done everything 
every single function inside our businesses we've done and we understand them really bloody well so if you want to take us on and tell us how it works we're like go for it but we we know what it's like to send out invoices or you know be out at the warehouse doing packing like we've done all that stuff and there's real value and humility and actually going through that process and I think sometimes people can come out with a university degree and be like oh I know the world I know how this works I've read it in the paper and it's like actually that's not the way the world works Yes, sometimes it feels like university is so far away from the real world. And when you actually graduate, you realize nothing is what you actually thought it would be. Yeah, well, it is. It's quite removed. And look, I think universities are trying to catch up to the real world and they're doing a much better job at trying to engage people, you know, like us or or people from different walks of life. But I think the thing is just getting people in at the right time, doing something that they're going to be truly passionate about so that they don't end up with a huge amount of debt that then prevents them from doing other things in their life, you know. And that's really important. And like as an employer, I mean, far out, I never looked at what degree or what university people went to. I really didn't give a shit. I mean, maybe for a finance role, maybe. Like maybe you didn't want your CFO to like do this, you know, finance degree in like Barbados, because that would be a little bit awkward. But I mean, most of the time we just didn't care. We just care about the people. What would you say is the biggest benefit of being a female business owner? I think it's actually a huge amount of benefit. Like my husband will always define it as, it's really funny because we're both really good speakers. And I say this, it's funny because like he's just as good as me, genuinely. And like, but I get charged out at like three times the amount of some. And I always joke and say to him, like, I'm like, it's just because I'm a woman. Like people want me as a speaker, they want me on panels, they want me as a speaker because I'm female and because I'm a CEO and because we've done this business. And He's just another white male, and I think it's funny because that shift is happening, right? And so I think that there's benefit there, but I think that once you push up into the next level and you look at, you know, boards in New Zealand and you look at leadership teams, you look at this thing, there is still a hell of a lot of sexism, ageism, you know, um, racism. Like, it is ripe for the picking, right? And so I find it quite entertaining because I really don't sit back. I mean, clearly, I've got um, a lot to say, And so I end up in meetings with stale old males and they get hit by a bus when I come in and they don't really like it. And I find that really entertaining. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's benefits. I think there's still a lot of pitfalls and I think that we still have a really long way to go. And if we think that we've partly resolved it, we're kidding ourselves. So what do you think we need to do? Um, I think that there does need to be some more transparency. I think that, um, I think that uh, you know, I was always against, um, you know, trying to say, oh, well, we need five men and five women on a board or a management team or a leadership team. But I actually think there's value in that now, seeing it, because there's so quickly it can shift, you know. Mm-hmm. Theresa Gatting was CEO of Telecom and they haven't had a single female CEO since that day, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we need to look at it and I think we need to um, be a lot more specific around how we're going to change that. And I don't think that there's probably enough going on, you know. Again, I started out not being a massive big equal pay advocate because I thought that, you know, you know, people get paid what they're meant to be paid, but there's merit in that. There's merit in equal pay. There's merit in all these things because you have to be able to understand that there is gender bias. And if you don't address it, nothing's going to change. Yes, I agree. That's why I decided to start this podcast as well. So what advice could you give to someone that wants to start something but might have a lot of barriers in their way? I think that um, I, I kind of want to balance enthusiasm with realism and so I want to balance those two messages because I always want to say to people, you know, it's awesome. You know, if you're truly like, you know, you truly want to go off and do something, that's fantastic, you know. But you do have to be prepared, just as I've said before, like you have to be prepared to walk the walk, you know. You don't, 
drive a Tesla or you know walk around in Gucci shoes like that curve doesn't happen for a lot of people it never happens right and it could have never happened for us you know and so like what are you striving for what's your ambition and you know happiness isn't getting what you want it's wanting what you have and so for us we've always been prepared to like we've lived in shacks we've lived in houses that have basically been derelict this is pre-children though because it's not that sustainable once you have children and so you just have to be able to understand the sacrifice and go, is that for me or not, you know? And if you do want to do it, you know, make sure you're resolving a problem, make sure that you're listening to your customer, make sure that you're taking action, because if you don't, then, you know, you're really going to struggle. Okay, so what would you say are the first three steps if you do want to go ahead with your business idea? Well, I think it's validate that it's a good idea, you know, validate that you're solving a problem. Often people come to me and they go, oh, this is... Um, a business that we're going to pursue and I'm like ooh you know okay I'm not sure you know like I'm I'm not sure and and personally sometimes it's just because I'm not into that specific thing or you know like you know it depends on what the business type is and so you have to understand like who's the target market are you resolving a problem you know that's really the fundamental and then after that it's you know focusing on ensuring that your product is as good as possible and you know don't become complacent you know every single week when I get my food bag delivery And our team dread this because they know they get a Sunday email from me telling them exactly what I don't like for the week. And like, you know, I'm pretty transparent. I'm like, what happened to this packaging? You know, why has this, you know, like our bananas are a little bit greener than they should be. It's been kept at the wrong temperature. Why has it been kept at the wrong temperature? You know, like I care about that stuff. So care about the detail and you need to continue doing that as the business grows too. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self before becoming the successful entrepreneur? What would you wish you would have known? I think that to my 20-year-old self, so I met my husband when I was 20, um, which is when I was married by the time I was 23. And so I think that the advice was like, just go with your gut feeling, you know, like everything worked out in the end and the journey sometimes might be really friggin' hard. Um, but, um, but you know, just keep going. And I think that's where we didn't lose hope and we didn't lose faith. And, you know, should the year that we got married, we looked at each other and we were like, we're probably going to have to close down OPL Link in the next three months if something doesn't change. And we changed it. We took control of it and we changed it. And so you can't do that. You can't achieve that. And what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? Well, that's only recent. I just had a debate with my husband walking home, whether I was in my mid-30s or early 30s. I still claim I'm in my early 30s, being 33. Uh, for, for three years ago, I think that it was, um, you know, we hadn't sold my food bag yet. We really struggled getting pregnant with our daughter. We had a stillborn baby at 20 weeks, and we had um, we lost our second. So we had a, we, we had a stillborn baby at, at five months, we lost our second baby girl at four months pregnant, and then we had Layla after. And when I was 30, that was like, it was really hard because I didn't know if we were ever going to have another baby. And, and I think women struggle with that because at the same time as you're trying to build your career, you're trying to build your personal life. And, and in particular, it's really hard on your body when you go through that. So kind of have faith. James always said to me, like, we're going to have another baby. It's going to happen. It's going to be okay. And I'd be like, stop saying that because he's like, I believe it will be okay. And I didn't really believe, I just, you know, I'm an action person, so like I need to be like, let's go see the specialist and let's go and do that and let's go and do this. And so, you know, it did happen and, and we did need the specialist in the end. But um, but yeah, just have faith that things will go the right way. And, you know, with my food bag, you know, sometimes I look back at it and I go, like I was going for a photo albums because I'm trying to, you know, to scrapbooking for our children. And 
I looked at it and I was like, we were insane. Like, you know, like I don't actually physically know how we did it. Like we had a child, I had Tom at 27. He was three years old. Um, we were, you know, starting the process of selling the business. Um, you know, we just sold her Peerlank. You know, it was crazy. Like it was insane. And so, you know, you just have to look back at it and go, everything turned out okay. And, and you just kind of, you you know, you just have to live in the days because the days turn into weeks, they turn into months, they turn into years, and you just have to enjoy them. That must have been a really hard time for, for you both. Have you ever thought on what made you push push through that period in life? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the thing that, that our greatest strength has always been each other. So James and I have always taken great strength from each other. And that's been what's taken us through it, like hard times. And I think so many people talk about leadership being lonely. Like being a CEO is lonely. Being a founder of a business can be really lonely. And we've never found that. And also when we're now, because um, we've got another business that we're launching, and he's a solo founder, kind of. And um, and you just you just have to you just have to lean on each other. And when you see people that are struggling, you have to help them out, right? So yeah, that's really important. So what is the biggest wisdom you have learned from from all of this? Uh, again, like happiness isn't getting what you want; it's wanting what you have. Like I always talk about the fact, and it's actually quite ironic because. You know, you can go through those things and what do you visualize at the end of it, you know, and we sold my food bag and that was amazing for us personally, but like we didn't upgrade our house, like we didn't need to buy a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. We kind of looked at each other and James like, what would I do with it? Like where would the child seat go? It's like you don't need that shit, like that's not what life is about, it doesn't define you. It can for some people and it might be and I always say, look, it's not, that's not the wrong thing if that's what you truly want, right? It's not the wrong thing, but happiness is having, you know, what you want in that moment. And so that's really important. And I think in business, I think we have to learn to say yes rather than find a reason to say no because people get so good at saying no and we become complacent. And there is a reason why, if you look at the global um, stock exchanges, while businesses that were top performing in the 70s don't even list today, you know, They're not even on there because they've stopped innovating. They've become bureaucratic and they found reasons to say no rather than reasons to say yes. And so yeah, I think you have to drive innovation and, and truly embrace change. Yeah, I find it quite funny when people say, oh, if I if I only had money, I would do this with my life or change that about myself. But in reality, you can already do most of those things. It's all a matter of choice what it's important to you, you know? It's a choice. Like James always yeah. says to people, he's like, okay, so you can't buy a house in Auckland, move to Invercargill. Yeah. You know, like you have a choice. Like yeah. you do have a choice. And it's like, or you could go to Christchurch, go to Tauranga. Like there are other things that you can do if you want to have a lifestyle. And some people choose that. And they do that. And so, you know, you, you just kind of have to look yourself in the mirror and go, what do I see? And for us, it was really simple. You know, we saw a family like us, our two kids, you know, just happiness, just being able to have choice, you know, and being present for our kids. You know, that was most important to us. Cool. Do you have any women in your life that influenced you a lot? I mean, Teresa Gadding is a really um, close friend now um, for me. Um, I mean, clearly former CEO of Telecom and founder and my, well, co-founder in my Fubeg alongside us. And she really backed us. And so she's been hugely influential. And I think um, probably out of all the people in the universe, She's one of the few people that actually understands how James and I work together and truly understands, respects, and is incredibly supportive of that. And she always says to us, oh, you know, shit, you'd never invest in a business with just Cecilia, not James, or in a business with just James, not Cecilia. You actually want them together. And so she really understands us, and she's an amazing friend. And, and while she used to be a mentor, it's definitely more of, you know, she's one of our best friends now. All right. So do you have any quotes still live by, or maybe a Swedish saying? 
Um, well, I've been um, I've been translating Om du vill i leken så får du leken tala this week with my son, which is like if you want to play the game, you have to live by the rules of the game. Yeah, it's kind of like if you're going to play the game, be prepared for everything. You know, not everyone can be a winner. So on that topic um, of Sweden, what would you say is the biggest difference living here? I do think it's the people. Like, I think that it's, I mean, I think it's funny because in Sweden when you speak, so I found when I was back in Sweden, everyone's super friendly to me because I had my children with me and I was speaking English to them. And so they just assumed because I've got a really strong accent that I'm not Swedish because of the way that I speak. And so they're like, wow, you know, like that you're Swedish is quite weird. Um, but I do think that the people are a lot more warm and friendly here than what Swedish people are. And James always is like, that's so unfair because all your friends are amazing. And that's true. But like, because when you know Swedish people, it's different. But it's just kind of like the common person on the street in a store that you're interacting with. That engagement is really different. And like, you go for a run in Stockholm and like in New Zealand when I go running, and I think it maybe it's because we have hills, because every time I see another runner, you're kind of like nodding at each other or smiling going, you know, good luck. You're going to die, but you know, good luck. But in Stockholm, like if you try to even look at someone while they're running, that everyone just looks away. Like everyone is just like, don't look at me, don't look me in the eyes, please like avoid me. And so that's really weird because like when you come out of a culture and you've been kind of brainwashed that you smile and you nod and you say hi to people and you go back to a country that's not like that, you find that really um, quite oppressive. Yeah, I agree. Sweets are generally loving and friendly, but we were thought as kids that we shouldn't speak to strangers, which I think is a shame because that can leave a lot of closed doors in your life. So how would we empower women to become leaders? Um, I think it's just about um, role modeling leadership. I think you have to... And businesses have women in leadership positions that role model realistic leadership. And I think a lot of that is about, you know, for us, we were always super family focused. And so our, our team always knew never, ever to book a meeting with us before nine o'clock in the morning because they never saw us before nine o'clock in the morning, you know. And we'd always be dropping our kids off at school and then picking them up. And that was just the life that we lived. And we could adjust our hours around that. And I think a lot of women just feel like they have to make a choice. They have to either have kids or they have to work. Um, or, or if they work and have kids, like it just doesn't work and you just feel like you're constantly failing. So I think women have to role model and show leadership in the fact that you can do both. You know, when work follows you home at the end of the day and you're expected to pick up a text message or your laptop or respond to an email or you pick up a phone call, like you have to be willing to do that both ways. And sometimes that means family following you to work. And so I think a lot of that just comes down to the leadership and, and leading by example. You know, and I think we also need men who really embrace women into leadership position. I think men who are aware of the fact that when they look at their leadership teams or their exec or their teams in general, you know, they look at that and they go gender balance, you know. And I'm, I'm honestly, like sometimes I'd look at my teams and I'd say to our HR person, I'm hoping that I don't get sued for this, but, you know, I'd look at her and I'd be like, I do not want a guy for this role. Like, I'm sorry, like, you're only going to present me with female candidates. And sometimes it was vice versa. Sometimes in our customer love team, I'd be like, you only have girls. Like, get a boy, please. Like, you know, you actually need to look at it sometimes and just go, let's make sure that we're representing both. So how do you find that balancing between being a business owner and a mother? Well, for us, it's amazing nowadays. But, you know, look, we were always really transparent about the fact that we're really involved parents. And while we've had help in our family, so, like, we've, um, I mean, we didn't start like that. I mean, you know, it's a progression. When we first had our son and we were building my food bag and we had OP, like, we had no help. We didn't have cleaners, housekeepers, nannies. It was just us doing it all, and that was really challenging. And so Tom just came everywhere with us. 
And like, you know, we'd have these business meetings and Tom would be like there. And then we would be like, okay, there's a baby in the room. Awesome. And so like that was just the way that we lived. And then through time, I mean, I think what I really realized is that you have to ask for help. And sometimes, you know, nowadays for, you know, we've got an amazing housekeeper and she just manages stuff for me. And that makes a huge difference to my life. And it just means that I can be more effective and I don't have to do everything because you can't, right? And you also have to ask for help. Like you have to be like, look, I can't do this or you know, like it doesn't work for me and just be blunt. I'll be like, people try to book a meeting in my door and I'll be like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm not taking a meeting after two o'clock because I picked my son up at three. And that's just the way it goes. Family first. Yeah. And so what does leadership mean to you? I think the funny thing about leaders is that leaders think and talk about solutions and followers think and talk about problems. And so leadership is solutions focused. Um, but the role of a leader and the responsibility of a leader is to grow other leaders. And so you foster people who think about solutions rather than people that think about problems. And so, you know, a really great leader fosters leaders. And that's really not about management because management is honestly just bullshit. Like, you know, you just spend your life managing other people and making their dreams come true. And it's like, that's not really like a lot of people when they understand what management is like, you know, you manage things, but you lead people. It's wildly different. And so that's really what it's about for me. And, and, you know, as a great leader, you have to make sure that, you know, you listen and that you act and that you go with your gut instinct and that at the end of the day, you know, leadership is steering the ship. It is taking accountability when things go wrong and you don't always steer it right. And then you just have to own up to it. You have to face up to your team. You have to go and you have to confront it and deal with it, you know, and, and that's what leadership's about. And it's not just for good times. It's really about leadership for bad times. And, People never judge you by how great you are when things are going swimmingly well. They judge you by, you know, your behaviour when things are going, you know, not so well. And and I think that's where my food bag and the businesses we've run, we've always been proud of because when things haven't gone our way, we've always been transparent, we've always been honest, we've put our hands up and we've said sorry if we needed to or made it better and that's always just been our philosophy. Okay, and so as a leader, how do you award your team? Um, through many different ways. Like, you know, it's not always for pay. Like, I think it's funny because, you know, pay can become really competitive. And when you're a startup, everyone's so aspirational to work in a startup. But guess what? We don't pay the best. And so it's not about paying the best. And often, you know, like you're the worst paid person inside that business, but no one knows it other than maybe the person on payroll. And so it's a lot more about saying thank you, acknowledging those people. It's about consulting the people directly. I hate leadership where managers only speak to managers, and I don't even understand how you could do that, but I hear that that's the way companies work. In my food bag, I'm like, if I've got a problem, I don't go and see someone's manager about it. I go and see that person. I go, hey, look, I don't understand why this is presented like this, or can you explain this, or like, you know, what's happened here, or like, you're doing the family bag recipe development this week, you know, like this product, does it really work kind of thing. Like, you don't just go to someone else and go, oh, I don't like this about this person. Um, you know, you just have to deal with and confront the issues. So that's how we kind of, that's how we communicate. And I think reward is often strong communication, you know, making sure that you're, uh, you know, accurately, transparently, and just often warmly just communicating with your team, you know. Yeah, I truly believe in removing the barriers and building a flat organization where everyone is allowed to speak up, but also to be heard. And I guess that's a bit Swedish. Well, I think it's like, it's just in terms of female leadership, I think that there's not really, you know, why wouldn't you like, that's just, well, I mean, it's just such a question where you just kind of have to go, I mean, there are males and there are females and you have to have both. And like, that's how the universe, that's how we're made up as, um, you know, the world that we live in. And you just have to have both. And we need to do a better job of making sure that that happens. 
Yeah, totally. Diversity in general is just so much, just has so much to offer to an organization. Um, so going through all your business ventures and selling my food bag and all of that, what does success really mean to you? It is um, getting up every single day and being grateful for what you have and kind of like the stopping to run. Like for a while with my food bag, it kind of felt like, you know, we, we, we sold part of our business. We kind of like crossed the finish line and we were like, yes, like life is good. Like, you know, we've got freedom, we've got financial freedom, we've got two beautiful, healthy kids. We want to spend time with them. And, but we didn't stop. We just kept running, you know, and like, so we had to keep running in our role as CEOs. And, and that was not the life that we'd wanted, you know. And, and, and so for us, you kind of have to stop and you have to go, what do I actually want here? And so, yeah, happiness is, is wanting what you have. And that's what we have, you know. So, yeah. Amazing. So is there a next plan? Oh, it's funny. Everyone always asks me that now. I mean, we've got a couple of businesses, um, and, and I really hate to say that because we're just meant to be on um, leave for like years. We said that we were going to retire, and hasn't really worked out that way. So, we've got a couple of businesses that we're launching that we're doing, and so. But there's nothing. We've done investments, so we're investors in a couple of businesses. But look, I think there's probably another venture in us somewhere. Um, not right now. We kind of need a break. We've just been constantly just running for so long, but. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be something else down the track. Mm, so family is kind of your next project. Yeah, right now it's kind of as it's just focusing on the kids. But then again, like Tom was raised with my food bag that was his family, it was his home as well. And so for him in particular, it was actually quite hard when we left because he was like, oh, well, what happens now? I don't get to go and see my team, like his 100 people that he sees every Friday and says hi to. I'm like, no, it's just different. And so, yeah, I think there'll be something else down the track. I don't know when, we'll just see. Cecilia, thank you so much for taking your time to meet with me today. Um, it's been a really inspiring and, and motivational talk that we had. And I'm sure that our listeners will think the same. Thank you, guys. Mission complete. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, I meet up with John Simpson from Kiva Landing Pad, who talks about how they help businesses expand in the US. We also talk about the future of youth and how she found work-life balance by moving to an island.